You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series designed to provide you with timely insights from Scotiabank global banking and markets leaders and experts. This episode of Market Points is part two of a two-part episode about the rapidly expanding carbon market. You'll hear the second half of a discussion between Harsh Sangvi, Scotiabank's Director of Commodities and ESG Risk Management, and Sean Locke, an Associate in Sustainable Finance at Scotiabank. We pick up the conversation with a question from Harsh Sangvi about the array of options and products available to clients in the sustainable finance space. Given your focus in sustainable finance, you know, what are you hearing from clients out there as they incorporate some of these tools as part of their broader ESG strategy or financing objectives? Because obviously, historically, a lot of focus was just in terms of getting the KPIs and the framework in place. Now we're starting to see that change a bit. How are some of these tools trickling into your side of the world as well? We've seen over the last couple of years, a big focus has been really on companies measuring their footprints and then setting strategies and measurable KPIs and targets. And we're really seeing the conversation shift towards instead of sort of what's our target or how are we going to get there and what tools are we going to use to get there? And in terms of when we think about, you know, using environmental offsets as a tool, corporations are still primarily focused on achieving organic emissions reductions within their footprint, whether that's in their operations or their value chain. That makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And and similarly, investors and other capital providers like lenders, banks, and other sort of insurance providers, et cetera, are also very focused on ensuring their clients are focusing on these operational reductions and organic reductions. The key is once companies, especially in the near term, but even further out, have sort of exhausted all possible options for reducing organic emissions, there are still many leftover sort of hard to abate emissions. And that's where we're seeing companies turn to the offset markets, whether it's for renewable power or for carbon offsets. So in saying that, it's really critical that corporations are using offsets in a very high quality manner to avoid any potential greenwashing where they're more so buying their way out of their emissions rather than focusing on providing real reductions. In that case, it's really critical to partner with high integrity organizations. There are a number of internationally recognized agencies that we here at Scotiabank work with that provide robust protocols and methodologies for generating offsets and also have sort of audit and validation requirements to make sure that the projects are real and living up to all the claims they're making. Interesting. There's also companies that are developing preferences in terms of the types of offsets that they uh, work with, whether it's preferring a offset that represents the removal of emissions rather than avoided emissions or something that is more in the sectoral or geography area that is more aligned with the corporate themselves. So it's it's interesting to see the market sort of develop these nuances. You touched upon a lot of things around ratings agencies providing more comfort around what these companies are doing and how they're going about it. Mm-hmm. What would be your guidance as companies look for sort of the best solution in achieving their net zero goals and investors and external shareholders are also scrutinizing those choices. So how do you sort of balance the two, right? Obviously, some of these are going to be scrutinized more than others. So just love to kind of get your perspective in terms of how does the corporation effectively balance those pros and cons? It's a great point and it's becoming increasingly important as we see more headlines in the news and kind of examples of 
concerns around greenwashing, whether it's in this space or in any sort of sustainability spaces. I think the first thing to remember about the carbon offset market, it's a very heterogeneous market. Every offset project is unique and has its own unique characteristics. And we even see this in the trading markets where nature-based solutions might be trading more at something like $15 a metric ton, but then there are credits that are generated by uh, renewable power that could be closer to $5 a metric ton. And then there's even some really advanced technological solutions such as direct air capture that we might see trading in the hundreds of dollars a ton. That kind of gives you an idea of how different these offsets can be, which becomes a bit challenging in terms of evaluating quality. But there are a few sort of key principles I would point to. And the first is something you mentioned briefly, additionality. And this is the concept that the emission reduction or removal that occurred as a result of the project generating the carbon offset wouldn't have happened otherwise if it wasn't for sort of the offset and the financing that it provided. And so that's really the key point and that registries design their methodologies to make sure that project developers do demonstrate additionality. And another concept that's a little bit trickier to evaluate and more um, maybe focused on the nature-based and forestry type solutions is it's called leakage. And that's where emissions that might have been prevented due to an offset project, for example, protecting rainforest that was slated to be deforested for agriculture. It's ensuring that that project didn't just sort of shift that demand for deforestation to a new area, and it actually didn't sort of result in any net benefit. The last key principle, and this is particularly important for carbon removals, where you could think about storing carbon, whether that's in biomass, such as trees, or technologically stored and engineered solutions, is what's called permanence. And that's the duration of time that a ton of carbon is removed from the atmosphere. Organizations are increasingly looking for a minimum number of years for the carbon to be stored, and there's premiums put on solutions that are storing carbon for longer periods of time. Now, it may be tricky to sort of evaluate all of these different things. So what's great is there's an independent governance body called the uh, Integrity Council for Voluntary Carbon Markets that's made up of industry experts. And they're putting together what's called the Core Carbon Principles, which will be released later this year. And it should provide the markets some sort of key standards for developing a framework to assess the quality. Sean, it's pretty interesting you mentioned all this because, you know, one of the things that keeps coming up is companies look at science-based targets or other initiatives where they're looking at organic investments to abate their scope three emission. When I see that, I look at risks that come on the back of that as well. So if you think about a company that may have to now look at non-core assets, so think about a company that may have to invest in a forestry asset to get the nature-based carbon offsets to reduce their organic footprint, if you will, but they may not have any expertise within that space. And when you think about all the things you talked about around additionality, permanence, some of the things that you know we're, we're starting to see from a principal standpoint, how do organizations sort of manage that? Because in many cases, they may not be necessarily the right entities or may have the right skill set in these alternative investments to do it organically themselves. Yeah, that's really the beauty and the function of the offset market is it allows companies who are really focused on sort of achieving these reductions but don't have the specific expertise to operate the project to provide capital and financing in a way, in an ultimate form, so that the developers or the experts in these different areas, whether it be nature-based solutions or renewable power or carbon capture, to really develop and successfully operate these projects. And while companies are, you know, are certainly not always going to want to develop their own projects, there are an interesting set of parameters that they're evaluating 
for example, a food company or a grocery chain may want to reduce the emissions associated with their supply chain, but they don't really have the expertise to develop agricultural offset initiatives themselves. So they could partner through a carbon offset program with agricultural company or farmers to provide carbon offsets. So we do see some of that in terms of companies focusing on something in their sector or in their home geography. They want the projects to be related to their business, but they really just don't have the expertise to operate them themselves. It's interesting because what you're effectively saying is you would redirect expertise to the organizations that are experts in developing projects that will yield carbon credits that can be used to abate those scope three and hard to manage components, but at the same time, almost take a bit of a kind of mutual fund type exposure profile, if you will, where you're kind of combining and aligning, syndicating risks out to the parties that are going to be most able to kind of manage that themselves. Yeah, exactly. And that's what these market-based solutions are really designed to do to help develop and ensure growth in the most efficient way for all the parties involved. I think about all the factors a corporation has to go through before they can embark on a net zero journey and also implement the changes necessary. It seems that there's a lot that they have to understand and they need banks to pine on as well. So I guess from your standpoint, as you look at institutional clients, corporate clients all around the world, from the lens of sustainable finance, what are some of the changes in terms of how the bank's roles are evolving you know, within this space as well from a traditional lending or debt facility that normally would have been pretty standardized at this point? It's definitely something that is evolving in terms of how we as a bank work with our clients. A very obvious change is in the specific products itself that you alluded to in terms of embedding KPIs that call into facilities, and we call them sustainability-linked financing products, could be loans, bonds, derivatives, or even other products such as deposits, where the financing rates are linked to KPIs, and most common being this sort of rate of organic GHG emission reductions. And so that's a really important way for us as banks to help our clients move the needle on their end and ultimately reduce our own financed emissions, which is something that's really been evolving Earlier this year, Scotiabank released its Net Zero Pathways report and its first targets to reduce our financed emissions from the companies that we lend to. So now that we're incorporating that as another metric into how we assess our risk and performance, it becomes important for us to work with clients to help them reduce their emissions because in turn, there are scope three emissions. And that's really where the offset market comes in. You know, it's been estimated that the energy transition to net zero will cost upwards of $9 trillion per year. So we really need an all of the above approach. And many financial institutions have pledged large commitments, including ourselves, to help promote mobilizing capital towards a green economy. So it's key to have a tool like the carbon offset markets which can provide another source of financing for some of these hard-to-abate emissions. With that said, I'm curious to hear how you see banks and financial institutions interacting with the market and where do you see things going from here? When you think about the scale of the emission reduction pledges in 2030, in 2050, I personally think that we'll continue seeing sort of this exponential interest in risk management and financing solutions around the transition as well. Mm-hmm. Banks financial institutions, you know, we'll have to get creative in the way we structure the capital for, let's say, project finance entities or other types of entities where there is really no other physical collateral asset in place outside of the carbon credit. For instance, when you think about a forestry project or a carbon capture and storage project, the only real output here is an environmental offset. So this means that the bank not only has to provide capital against future delivery of environmental credits, 
but there's also a greater need to lock in the future price of those credits and bring in better certainty around returns and break-even parameters. We've already seen a growing interest for prepaid facilities, equity investments, and other ways to fund projects where raising debt might be hard. This is very different in terms of how you look at traditional project finance, traditional infrastructure type of financing, because those, again, are very mature established markets versus these are becoming something where we're just starting to kind of scratch the surface and what that world looks like. Financial institutions will have to provide liquidity for this market, support for physical and financial trading offer better off-take solutions, both for the buyers and the sellers. This is not just corporates. I mean, even think about institutional investors, right? They're looking at their carbon portfolio in terms of the companies that they invest in from an asset management standpoint, companies that they have in their portfolio. And they're now trying to figure out how do they decarbonize that across everything that they do in their investment portfolios and how do they leverage these tools. In some cases, we're seeing companies, again, from an institutional standpoint, focus on new investments from a green standpoint, where they're focusing you know, more and more investments in the green space. But we're also starting to see them look at the environmental products, just like another asset class, and look at yield strategies or investment strategies from a trading standpoint, like a FIC product, like an equity product, to get additional alternative investments with an ESG component to it. That's fascinating. I'm really interested uh, you know, hear your perspective in terms of seeing all these new products coming out. Like how does Scotiabank fit in and how can we help our clients in this space? We at Scotiabank have been focusing our efforts on developing new sustainability linked products such as these carbon solutions, new indices within the space, or looking at even sustainability linked derivatives or deposits or other products that can be linked to a custom KPI. Mm-hmm. We have taken a holistic, in some ways, product and sector agnostic approach on how we assist our clients on all facets of their ESG transition. The goal really at the end of the day is to use all these different tools to come up with a customized strategy, right? That links this advisory piece with the financing piece with products like carbon and ESG solutions that we spoke about today and really help our clients A, align, but B, more importantly, implement and deliver on their enterprise-wide ESG goals, both on the short-term and long-term basis. And I think part of the innovation that we're working on is how do we connect the dots and make it more comprehensive? But at the same time, we will need more tools, more depth, more liquidity, more players in the market, so we can do it in a way that's scalable and achievable in the timelines that we need in the next two to three decades, you know, from a net zero standpoint. Absolutely. I'm really excited to see where this sector goes and see how we can help advance the growth of it and how it can contribute to achieving our global climate goals that are so important. Thanks for listening to Scotiabank Market Points. Be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast platform. And you can find more thought-leading content on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com. This communication does not constitute investment advice or any personal recommendation to invest in a financial instrument or investment research. This communication is provided for information and discussion purposes only. An investment decision should not be made solely on the basis of the contents of this communication. It is not to be construed as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments and has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any recipient. The information in this communication is based on publicly available information, and although it has been compiled or obtained from sources believed to be reliable, such information has 
not been independently verified and no guarantee, representation or warranty expressed or implied is made as to its accuracy, completeness or correctness. Past performance or simulated past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. Forecasts are not a reliable indicator of future performance. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. Thank you.